But we're in, a, we're in a study called Simply Jesus. It's a study of Mark's gospel, and we've just been going through Mark's gospel in large chunks. So today we're covering uh, the end. Of, it's, it's Mark chapter 4, verse 35 is where we're going to be. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to there. And we're going to do the last story in chapter 4 and every story in chapter 5. So we're looking at four stories today, uh, four miracles. It's Jesus calms the storm. Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. Uh, Jesus heals a sick woman, and Jesus raises a dead girl. And so I, I called this calming the chaos, and I based it on... It's just one, it's just one of those mornings. It's got everything. <laughs> Everything's happening. Um, it was a good sound effect, though, with calming the chaos. If we could have timed it just perfectly... So some mornings are more chaotic than other mornings. It's been one of those at, at Murray Hills. Some days are more chaotic than other days. Some seasons of life are more chaotic than other seasons of life. And um, that's what every single one of these stories we're going to look at today is about. Uh, I, t I titled it after the calming the storm. And I thought, oh, we'll call this calming the chaos. But the more I got to looking at each story, every one of them are about chaos. So it's Jesus calming the chaos of nature it's Jesus calming the chaos of evil. It's Jesus calming the chaos of sickness. And any of you who have ever battled a long-term sickness or gotten, you know, the diagnosis, you've battled that for a long time, you know the chaos of that. Uh, it's Jesus calming the chaos of death. And so every one of them has to do with that. And Mark, I think you figured out by now, Mark is very intentional in what he includes in his stories. Like, they're not just haphazard stories. He's not, it's not just like a hodgepodge of stories about Jesus. They build on each other. And so we just, he just told a series of stories, Jesus did, about the kingdom of God. And the last one he told was about the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed. You know, you got to have faith like a mustard seed. Just the tiniest amount of faith can grow into big things. And so the story that follows that is the story of, of him stilling the storm. And in every one of these, Mark is choosing to, to tell a story that is to point us to Jesus as the Messiah. Because his whole purpose in writing this gospel is so that we would know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he's going to tell a story that points us to that, and each one of the stories point that. They're also characterized by two things. They're, they're, all the four stories are characterized by death. So the, the disciples are fear for their life when they are in the boat. The uh, man who is demon-possessed fears for his life. He is being tormented by this demon, and possibly the community even fears for their life because we know that they tried to bind him. They tried to control him in some sense. Uh, the woman was hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. No doctor could hear her, heal her, so he, she feared for her life. And um, Jairus' daughter died before Jesus got to her. So every one of them have to do with death, and there's nothing that, that shakes our faith more than death. Uh, all of us experience it. All of us lose people we love. And, and that's when we are most likely to question our faith, to struggle with our faith, to, to wrestle with our faith, it, when we are faced with the chaos of death. And so every one of these deal with the chaos of death. They also deal with the chaos of desperation. So the disciples are desperate for deliverance. They want Jesus to calm this storm more than anything, or they're, they're desperate to be out of the storm. Uh, the demon-possessed man is desperate to be released from his demons. The, the woman is desperate for healing. She is so desperate for healing that she is willing to risk violating the Jewish purity rules in order to enter a crowd and touch Jesus. 
And uh, Jairus is so desperate for his daughter to be healed that he is willing to humble himself before this rabbi who many of his colleagues are scorning. And so all of these have to do with desperation. And if you know when Mark was written, it was written at a time that the church was being persecuted under Roman rule. And so many people were desperate. And so Mark's including these stories of desperation to show people what that faith in Jesus can, can heal you from these, these desperate situations. But what's different about each of the stories is how Jesus responds to each person. And this is what I thought was very interesting as I was studying it this week. Each, each situation is different. And so they're all about death and they're all about desperation. But what Jesus says to each group or each person is a little bit different. To the disciples, he, he kind of mildly chastised them or rebukes them. They have a tentative faith. And he says, why are you so afraid? You know, do, do you still have no faith? All this stuff you've seen and you still have no faith, why are you afraid? The woman who is, has been subject to bleeding also has a tentative faith. But Jesus kind of warmly welcomes her tentative faith and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The demon-possessed man is set free from his demons, and Jesus tells him, I want you to go and tell everybody what's been done for you. Tell everybody what the Lord has done for you and how he showed you mercy. And then Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead, and he gives strict orders to Jairus and his wife, don't tell anybody about this. So, so in each story, Jesus says something a little bit different to, to the person who has received the healing. And I just got thinking, you know, like in the midst of our chaos, whatever our chaos is, in the midst of our chaos, what is it that Jesus is saying to us? Like, is he saying something different to each of us, depending on our situation or depending on our faith? What is it that Jesus is saying to us? And we're going to come back to that uh, at the end this morning. But I want to read through these stories with you. And I won't just read through. I won't, I'm not going to read all of it because it would take a while. But um, let's go to, to verse, hmm, verse 35. And I'm going to, since I can't see the screen easily, Andy, I'm going to let you kind of run it from here. This, you can kind of drive it for me. Um, Mark, chapter, um, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I can't see this easily either, so I'm kind of I'm kind of hurting both ways. It says uh, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, "Let us go over to the other side." Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. If you remember this, Jesus was telling the story of the parable of the sower from a boat. So like a boat was his stage. And you know how voices kind of carry over water? If you've ever been on a lake and you can hear people on the other side of the lake speaking, you know, there's no PA system. So Jesus is speaking from a boat to a large crowd. After he's done speaking, he says, let's go over the other side of the lake. And the lake is actually the Sea of Galilee. And this is a little deceiving because the maps, if you've got a map in the back of your Bible, it, you see that little blue dot and you go, oh, that's a cute little lake. Uh, it's a pretty big lake, okay? Like I was trying to research that it's 64 square miles is the Sea of Galilee. It's 40,000 acres of, of surface area on the water. And for comparison, the nearest lake to Columbia, thanks to the Snell Darter, is Tim's Ford. So Tim's Ford is 16 square miles. You have to look that up if you didn't catch that reference. 16 square miles and 10,000 uh, acres of surface area. And I think Tim's Ford's a pretty big lake. But Sea of Galilee's huge. And it's eight miles at its widest part. 
And a lot of Thames Ford, you could swim across if you had to. But eight miles wide is the Sea of Galilee. So the disciples would have been somewhere, you know, you get a mile away from shore, and it's pretty, you know, you get four miles away from shore, that's a pretty long distance. And so this would have been, you know, a storm would have popped up, kind of like one of our summer storms in July or August, and you know how fierce those storms can be when they come up and they come up out of nowhere and there's no Doppler radar and there's no weather apps and there's no, you know, like there's no warning. It just comes up. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, what was Jesus doing? Uh, Jesus was, was sleeping. Verse 38, it says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And I think this is, you know, interesting because there's this plea. Of course, first in verse 38, there's all of these theories of like why Jesus was sleeping. I read all these theories this week about why, why, why was Jesus sleeping? Was he trying to communicate to the disciples that you should have unwavering trust in God? Was he trying to do this? And some of it, sometimes we just overthink Jesus. I'm like, he was tired. That's, I mean, that's the only, he was tired. He'd been preaching all day to all these crowds and all these people were coming to healing. He was just tired. Sometimes you can be so worn out that you can sleep through a storm, Right. Some of you with toddlers, you know, like you can sleep through anything. It's like and nothing wakes me up. I think Jesus was just tired. And when the disciples came to him and asked, don't you care if we drown? I don't think they were saying, Jesus, get up and calm the storm. Because they weren't expecting that. I think they came to him with buckets in their hand going, Jesus, don't you care? I mean, here, help us bail this boat out. Take a rope. Help us pull this down. You know, you know they're coming. They're begging Jesus to help them because he's asleep in the stern while this great storm's hitting. And this is the, what happened next is the miracle, and it blew even them away. They weren't even expecting it. It says, he got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now that's a curious question, isn't it? Everything we've talked so far, like every, every story has been designed to say, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. Watch me heal these people. Watch me cast out these demons. Watch me offer the forgiveness of sin. Everything, they should have known by now who he was. And they, maybe they had some idea or some inkling of who he was, but they never imagined that he had power over even the wind and the waves. And this is a private miracle, right? This is not, the crowds didn't see this miracle. This was just for the disciples. The disciples and whoever else was in the boat with them or traveling with them, they got to see this. That who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gersenes. Gersenes, maybe. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons with his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And so you hear the desperation in this, right? You see the, the desperation in this man, tattered clothes. He lives in an unclean place. He lives in a cemetery. Um, he has been... People did not know how to handle his wild, erratic behavior, and so they tried to subdue him with chains. And so these tattered chains. And you remember what the disciples asked right after Jesus healed the, I mean, calmed the storm. Right after Jesus calmed the storm, they said, who is this? They go over the other side of the lake. The question gets answered. 
in verse uh, 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of his man, you impure spirit. So the disciples' question gets answered immediately, and it's a demon that answers the question that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And uh, he's begging Jesus not to cast him out. And, of course, Jesus does cast him out. And you're probably familiar with this story. If you rem- This is a, probably the most famous of the stories of Jesus casting out demons. He cast out the demons into a herd of pigs. The herd of pigs uh, run down into the Sea of Galilee, and they're drowned. And from a Jewish perspective, we don't catch this because we don't think in terms of clean and unclean. From a Jewish perspective, an unclean spirit was cast into unclean animals and both were destroyed. But a man was made clean again. And um, the man is, you know, like everybody goes and tells, goes to town and says, you won't believe what happened. This, this, this man showed up and you won't believe what happened. And so all the town comes out to see Jesus. And when they get there, they see this man who'd been tormented by these demons uh, sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And it says they were terrified. So you know what they asked Jesus to do? Go home, please. Like, go away. I mean, that's, that's their response. The, the, I mean, the, the power is, they don't know what to do with this. They, they're, they're more scared of Jesus than they are the, the man who's now in his right mind. And so they asked Jesus to go home. And it says, verse uh, 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now again, this is is the first time that Jesus has told somebody after a healing. Everybody that he's healed thus far, he said, don't tell anybody. Now they didn't pay attention to him. You know, the leper didn't do it. You know, don't tell anybody. The leper went out and told everybody. And then everybody else came to Jesus for healing. But this demon-possessed man, he tells him, I want you to go tell everybody. I want you to tell them what the Lord has done for you. And I want you to tell them how he's shown mercy on you. And there's several theories as to why he says that, possibly because he was in a Gentile area. There's two indications of that. One's the geography, and two's the fact that they were keeping pigs. Um, and so he was in a Gentile area, and so there's no threat of people are going to get all hyped up about the Messiah here. So they could, he's free to go tell his neighbors what happened to him. But I think it's interesting that Jesus says, go tell them not about the miracle, because the miracle is not the point. And that, of all of these, I think that's one of the reasons he tells people not to tell people is because the miracle is not the point. The miracle has a point, but it, it's about the mercy that he showed a man. He says, go tell them that I showed mercy to you. And this is the same community who had tried to bind this man. So go tell them that I showed mercy to you. And in each of these stories, you see that theme of mercy, especially in this next one. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake and then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him my little daughter is dying please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live so Jesus went with him a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years she'd suffer a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet instead of getting better she grew worse And when she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. 
And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was being freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples ask, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. Now this is, a, this is an incredible story. If, if you think about uh, what's happening here, because Jesus asked truly an absurd question. I mean, it, like the, the people are crowding around Jesus, and he says, who touched me? Wait a minute, who touched me? And the disciples are kind of incredulous at this. Like, what do you mean? Everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? Everybody is, can't you see this crowd gather? Everybody's touching you. Why does Jesus make such a point of stopping and, and, and trying? I mean, this woman was trying to come to Jesus in secrets. She was trying to come to Jesus without being seen, without being noticed. She was trying to not come directly to him, but if she could just touch the hem of his garment. And, and Jesus stops. And the reason he stops is not to cast judgment on her. That's what she's afraid of. He's going to cast judgment on her because she's, she's touched him because she's an unclean woman and she's not allowed to do that. So, so she's afraid that he's going to cast judgment on her. But the reason Jesus stops is because he wants her to be seen. She's coming to Jesus out of a tremendous amount of shame. And he wants her to be seen. And so the reason he asked who touched me was because he wants this woman to know that she is seen by the Messiah. I'm going to let uh, the chosen show you this because it's, it's way more powerful than me trying to describe it. Okay, this is about a four-minute clip of um, this healing here, and uh, I think they do a really incredible job of this. So why don't you watch this video? Everybody back. I asked the question, who touched me? Master, the crowds are pressing in all around you like this, and you're asking who touched you? They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. Whoever touched me, come forward. Teacher. It was me. Just the fringe of your garment, only the edge, I promise. You are not unclean. Why my garment? I'm sorry. I know I should have asked. But if, if you touched me, it would make you ritually unclean according to the law. I was sick. I was sick for 12 years. I bled and, and, and no one could stop it. But, but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. <laughs> I was right. I was right. Thank you. Who told you I could heal? 
a man from the pool. And he was right. The blood is ceasing. My daughter. I'm no one's daughter anymore. Look up. Yes, you are. Daughter. It wasn't my piece of clothing that healed you. But it was instant. I felt it right away. I know, but it wasn't this. It was your faith. Teacher, she was bleeding so long. We can take her. She is clean. me today and I know my daughter I know it has been a fight for you for so long you must be exhausted go now in peace your faith has made you well I wish I could stay here longer. But I have business to attend to. Someone else has faith like yours. But I'm so glad that we found each other. I, I, I wanted to show that to you because there's... you you. You have to see it. And this is one interpretation of it from, you know, one, this is an interpretation of what this miracle loves to look like. But there's, when Jesus heals, there's far more going on than just a physical healing. There's an emotional and, and, and um, a mental aspect to this. And in that century, people associated disease and illness and, uh, and disability with something that someone had done wrong. So they must have deserved this. So they've done something wrong to deserve this. You see this showing up in other teachings of Jesus. And Jesus refutes this because this is not true and this is not accurate. But, but they must have done something or their parents must have done something to deserve this. We still do this today, just not to the same extent and not with every disease. But we still do it. If somebody has a heart attack, we say, oh, that was terrible. Or an aneurysm, oh, that was terrible. They did nothing to deserve that. I mean, obviously, it wasn't their sin that caused the aneurysm. But if somebody's diagnosed with an STD, so we, we still attach shame to certain disease. And so there was a lot of shame attached to this woman's, uh, not a disease necessarily. In this case, she was hemorrhaging blood. But there was a lot of shame attached to that. And she was unclean. And she couldn't come before Jesus. So when Jesus healed her, he wasn't just healing her physically. He was healing her spiritually. Now, the only thing I think that the, the chosen gets wrong in that interpretation right there is that Jairus is this kind, sympathetic father just smiling down going, well, that was awesome. I'm so glad we stopped so that we could heal this woman. 
I, I see Jairus more as impatient. I mean, he has come to Jesus and begging Jesus to come to his house, and Jesus has agreed to come to his house and heal his daughter, and now this woman comes up, and Jesus has stopped. I mean, have you ever been in a hurry to get somewhere, and it seems like nobody else is in a hurry to get there? Or you've been in a hurry to do something, and it seems like nobody else is in a hurry to do something? And so I think Jairus has got to be literally dying inside that like, we are stopped for this other person, and I have a daughter who needs to be healed. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. The daughter dies before Jesus can get to the house. And so they come to Jairus, and they tell him, you know, don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's, uh, your, your daughter has died. And Jesus overhears this, verse 36. He overhears what they said, and Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Now again, he started this, the disciples were afraid, and what did he say? Why are you so afraid? <laughs> but to Jairus, he don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when he came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he told them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother, and the disciples were with him. And he went into the child, and he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. The woman he had just healed had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And at this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he said, get her something to eat. Now, why, why did he give the strict orders? We don't really know. It could be that Peter, James, and John, these three, he wanted them to know. This is a foreshadowing of the resurrection. And so he wanted them to know about resurrection, but it wasn't time for the miracle of resurrection just yet. It wasn't time for everybody to heal. Another theory is that Jesus was so moved by the faith of Jairus that he had compassion on him, and he did a healing that he wasn't really planning on doing. Like that wasn't really in the, that wasn't really part of the plan, but he was so moved. And you see examples of that in, in Scripture, too. I do think it's important to note that Jesus does not heal everyone even in his day. There's no way he could have possibly healed everyone that came to him for healing. And, and he doesn't heal everyone. And Jesus does, not, um, Jesus does not cast out demons of everybody who came in, in his day. And he did not raise the, for the dead everybody who came in his day. But these are given for a specific reason to identify. These are specific miracles and they're limited in scope. In other words, it, it's the exception, not the rule. Healing's the exception, not the rule. Because they're given for a specific reason to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he has power over death. He has power over nature. He has power over sickness. He has power over evil. He has power over all things. But back to what I was talking about at the beginning. I want to show you this real quick. And I just want you to think through this. We got, I got about two minutes here. Okay. Each person that Jesus came to, was, each situation was different, and each person was at a different point in their faith. And they maybe needed to hear something a little bit different from Jesus. So this is what I want to ask you to do as we close. Considering your chaos, whatever you're dealing with right now, whether it's chaos that you created through your own choices, or it's chaos that someone you love created through their choices, or it's chaos that you had nothing to do with and nobody you love had anything to do with. It just 
It just happened. It's just, it's just chaos. It just happened to us, and we, it was completely out of our control. Which of these phrases do you need to hear most right now? Are you scared and anxious like the disciples at sea, and you need to hear a gentle rebuke of, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Just to be reminded that Jesus has power even over the wind and the waves. Or are you tormented like the demon-possessed man and you need to hear, come out of this man, you impure spirit. To be reminded that, that we have a power living within us that is greater than the power that tempts us to do wrong and that tempts us to sin. And, and we just need to be reminded that Jesus has shown mercy to us. Are you filled with shame like the sick woman and need to hear, daughter, go in peace. You have been freed from your suffering. You just need to be reminded that you have an identity. You are someone's daughter or you are someone's son and you are worthy of being a daughter or a son. Or are you filled with grief and fear like the synagogue ruler and you just need to hear, don't be afraid, just believe. You need to be reminded that Jesus has power even over death. And while death may separate us for a little while, it, eventually we will all be resurrected in a new heaven and a new earth. And, and it's a reminder that Jesus has power even over death itself. These phrases right here that we see in Scripture were spoken to specific people at specific times. But they carry forward to today as well. And we ask, what, are they, what is it saying to us today? How do I put myself in that story? How do I put myself as a receiver of the things that Jesus is saying to them so that I can hear what he might be speaking into my situation and into my chaos? Let me say a word of prayer for us and, and we'll be dismissed. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just let this be our closing prayer. I got the, the only other thing I was supposed to do was, was talk about offering. Can you, Andy, just put that screen up on the... Put that on the screen, the offering screen, and, and we'll, as you leave today, you can do your offering. Uh, of course, there's boxes around the room, and uh, most of you do it electronically, but all the information about how to do it electronically will be on the screen. So let me just pray for us, and, and we'll close with this prayer. Father, we're thankful uh, for the teaching that we see uh, in Mark, and we're thankful that the stories he chose to put in this, this short gospel, um, and he carefully chose these stories that he knew uh, the people in Rome needed to to read in the first century in 50, 60 AD. They needed to read these stories and be reminded of who your son Jesus is. And every generation since has needed to read these stories and be reminded of who your son Jesus is. And we need to read these stories and be reminded of who your son Jesus is. And so we thank you for that and um, pray that that would go with us as we go out through the rest of our week and, and the rest of this day, that we would take that with us so that we might grow in faith and, and learn to trust you more and learn to trust your son Jesus more. And it's in the name of your son I pray these things. Amen.